Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to 2014. It's January 2nd, and this is episode 189 of the podcast. We're kicking the year off. We're going to have a lot of great podcasts coming up. And uh, my first guest of the year is Rich Sheridan. Rich is the CEO and chief storyteller at Menlo Innovations, a software development company in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And the reason we're talking today, we're going to be talking about Rich's new book. It's called Joy, Inc., How We Built a Workplace People Love. And I'm really enjoying the book so far. There's a lot to love about what Rich uh, is doing at Menlo. I think it's really good to start a new year with a book that's very optimistic uh, and I think gives us hope about creating workplaces where employees are not just happy, but they're, they're joyful, as Rich talks about. They're fully engaged. Everybody wins in terms of customers, employees, uh, the company. And I'm going to have a chance to go see firsthand. I'm going to be visiting Menlo in about two weeks. I'm going to be in Michigan for a workshop and some other things. So I'm going to be able to report back um, through my blog about that visit at leanblog.org if you want to stay tuned there. Uh, if you want to link to this episode, go to leanblog.org slash 189. I've got some other notes and links to, to Rich's book. There's a video, a book trailer about the book. And I certainly hope you'll go buy the book, whether you work at a software company or not, because I think these ideas about how to better understand your customer needs, how to create a great workplace, that's something that can apply in so many different settings. Um, so I want to uh, thank you for listening and I hope you'll subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Stitcher, or other ways. If you go to leanpodcast.org, you can learn how to do that. Happy New Year. Rich, hi. It's great to have you as a guest on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Great to be here. So we're going to talk about your your book, um, a lot of great stuff in there. Can you start off um, maybe just first you know, introducing a little bit about yourself and your background and Menlo Innovations? Sure. Uh, I am the CEO, chief storyteller, as we like mm-hmm. to say, and uh, co-founder of Menlo Innovations. We are a software design and development firm in downtown Ann Arbor, Michigan. And we design and build software for others. Uh, and we do it based on a culture and a process we use that uh, we refer to uh, uh, as the business value of joy. So you know, I think that is really interesting. You know, it's maybe a rare and, and unique um, concept to build a company on. You know, in the book, you talk about an intentionally joyful culture. Um, so what, what, does that, what does that mean in a nutshell? What's the effect that has on, on your employees and, and the, the company's performance. Yeah, as, as you know, we do a lot of tours here. Uh, we're over 300 tours for well over 2,000 people this year alone. And when people come, I introduce us as a company that has created an intentionally joyful culture. And I have to admit, almost every time I do it, people look at me funny. Mm-hmm. And they might say, Rich, we're here to hear about your software process and your methodology and your practices. We want to see the process at work. And and why are you talking about joy? And I point back to this room full of people and I say, well, pretend half of my team has joy and the other half doesn't. Which half would you want working on your project? And of course, they always want the joyful half of my team. And I ask them why. And they say, well, they'd be more productive. They, they'd be more engaged. They'd care more about the outcome. They'd produce higher quality. They you know, and so very quickly they get it that there is in fact tangible business value to joy. 
But for us, what I tell them is I said, our, our focus on joy is external to the company. Uh, we want to make a difference in the world with the software that we design and deliver. We want to delight people. We want them to thank us for the work that we did. We want them to tell us that somehow or another in their walk, when they touch the computer that uh, holds the software that our team created, that we made their lives better. We made their jobs easier. We made their, them more productive. And they tell us they love the experience. And if you know anything about software, you know that's about as rare an experience as you can have in our industry. Mm-hmm. Most software sucks. Most people say, I hate this thing. Why does it work like this? Or it doesn't work at all. And so there's errors and bugs or it didn't ever deliver. And we just didn't want that for ourselves. So we created this intentionally joyful culture to focus on that purpose and that mission. And the way we describe it is to end human suffering in the world as it relates to technology. And we take that very seriously. Well, in, in the book, you you talk about you know previous companies that, that you had worked in and you know, uh, I think, you know, all of us, unfortunately, have worked in, uh, you know, a, a joyless or a miserable workplace. Um, what, what, I mean, how, how give us a, maybe a story that, you know, contrasts, you know, kind of like you said, you know, an environment where, where people aren't happy to a, a joyful culture. How does that translate into, um, you know, the, the, the environment? If, if people are there on a tour, what would they see that, um, that exhibits that joyfulness? You know, when you, when you walk into Menlo, you can actually feel the energy when you walk into the room. It's palpable. It's a, it's a big wide open room. It's noisy. It's kind of messy. There's paper artifacts on the wall that drive our process. We were kind of a weird software company. We use these tactile, simple handwritten index cards to drive our process that are push pinned to wallboard displays with yarn and sticky dots to indicate status and progress. And, and quality measures. Um, and so, uh, uh, you know, you can, you can see it. It's a visual process in a big open room. You can see every element of it. There are no cubes or offices or walls or doors. I sit right out in the room with everybody else. And this is about as different from my earlier career as you can imagine. You know, my industry is often an industry of sensory deprivation chambers. Um, you know, we, we put the programmers in their quiet, darkened cubicles. We let them put earbuds in their ears and we wonder why we have communication challenges in our technology projects. And it's probably because people just aren't talking to one another. To, to delve a little bit deeper into joy. I mean, you say in the book that this is not the same as quote unquote having fun, that, that people aren't, aren't goofing off, that they're connected to, to the company's work. And, and can, can you talk about that and how you create that alignment, um, that, that purpose sure. of changing the world. You know, is there happiness here? Is there fun here? Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that isn't our purpose. That isn't our mission. Uh, this is hard work. Much of the software we build often ends up holding the lives of people in its hands. And if it doesn't hold the lives of people, it often holds the lives of the companies for whom we're doing this because, you know, there's not a business today that can run without its software working well. And, uh, you know, and that transcends the internal operations of the company. It's often the way that their customers interact with them as a business is through software, through websites, through apps, 
uh, through applications or or you call them up and there's somebody on the phone is working with that software. You go to a bank and the teller on the other side of the window is, is working with a computer to transact their business with you. And so it is imperative for organizations these days for their software to work incredibly well. And quite frankly, building great software, especially if it's complex, is just plain, ordinary, hard work. Mm-hmm. It's complex, requires teams of human beings working together. And so everything in our culture is focused on producing a great outcome for that activity. And so it's hard work. It's energizing work because, you know, for example, I'll just give you a tangible example of what's happened here with this different kind of approach we've taken. Our phone doesn't ring with problems. We have visitors come in and they look at me and they're like, Rich, your phone isn't ringing. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, it doesn't ring with problems. We don't have a hotline. We don't have a support desk. I haven't dedicated 30% of my staff to fixing problems the team has created in the past. And they look at me and their eyes go wide and they're like, Rich, we get hundreds of calls per day because of problems <laughs> in the software we right. deliver to the world. And I'm like, the last time this team remembers a software emergency is 2004. That's crazy. I mean, that's so different than my previous life. And as Deming said way back when, anyone, all anyone ever asked for is a chance to work with pride. Our team gets that here, and that's where the joy comes from. Imagine you get to do that every day. Yeah, you're, you're right. And, uh, you know, Dr. Deming <laughs> talked about pride and, and joy. Um, w- w- did the term joy come from Dr. Deming's work, or did, did you, was that just a parallel? And things you've studied? You know, we, we established this uh, mission in our beginning days um, to end human suffering in the world as it relates to technology. And the way we chose to do that was to return joy to what we believed was one of the most unique endeavors mankind has ever undertaken, the creation of software. So we've used those words uh, since the beginning days of Menlo. Uh, Later, uh, you know, a lot of people start discovering us. Uh, you know, the lean community has discovered us. Uh, the Deming community has discovered us. And they come here and they start sharing with us their teachings and, and the lessons they've learned in those walks. And they find these astounding parallels. So uh, for us to find out that Deming himself talked about joy, well, that was just a delight for us because we we just chose that word because it was how we felt about what we wanted to accomplish in the world. You know, I think most people, when they, when, whenever they gather together in a group, whether it's in a community, uh, in a school, in a church, at work, we all want to work on something bigger than ourselves. Mm-hmm. We all want to deliver some lasting effect on the world. And, and our team gets a chance to do that here. And, you know, and, and when we've, when we've been introduced into the, into the world of lean and, and the people who really do it well or the teachings of Deming, uh, we see the alignment. And, and, you know, speaking of lean, you, you spoke at the AME conference this year. Is that your yep. kind of first primary interaction with, with the, with the lean community or? You're there in Ann Arbor. There's a lot of people. Yeah. You know, uh, Jeffrey Liker is a great friend of Menlo, as is Mike Rother. They're here all the time because they're both professors at the University of Michigan. Mm-hmm. So they've become great friends. Uh, I actually delivered a keynote address in Phoenix uh, to the ASQ conference on Lean and Six Sigma. And in some ways, that conference was uh, my coming out party for the Joy message. And it actually ultimately directly led to the creation of Joy, Inc., the book. 
Um, and then I went to the AME conference in Toronto, uh, uh, just a couple of months ago. And, um, they had given me one of the big rooms and, uh, there were 400 seats in the room and literally every seat was filled and they were jammed out into the hallway. And, and I, I will say this to you. And I said the same thing to them. My industry, the software industry has so much to learn from the manufacturing industry. Mm-hmm. You guys, as far as I'm concerned, are 20 years ahead of us in terms of the lessons you've learned and applied and the rigor and the discipline and the process focus and the methodology focus. And quite frankly, I, I think, you know, the people who really practice lean well are the ones who get it's about the people. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really enjoy about interacting with the lean community is that the, you know, there's, there's, I think there's a big portion of the lean community that focus on waste and spreadsheets and cost reductions. And it's not about the people, but the people who really get lean in my walk, the ones that interact with me uh, are the ones who understand it's about the people. Yeah. And I, I think that's a common theme. Um, you know, when I attended the ASQ conference, there was another Ann Harbor speaker, um, Ari from Zingerman's was there talking about, you know, the workplace culture and environment, and it's all about people. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, I think it's, it's great that people in different industries can learn from each other. We have, you know, people from hospitals visiting factories. We have people from uh, manufacturing actually going in and visiting some hospitals that are doing great work with, with lean. Do, do you have people from other industries outside of software coming in and doing those tours that you mentioned at Menlo Innovations? Yeah, uh, Toyota has been here. Um, uh, you know, all the, all the automotive, uh, uh, makers have been here. Uh, Ford sends people by the hundreds here, um, as does General Motors. And so we, we get all kinds of visitors here from all industries. Uh, perhaps one of my, uh, uh, my most enjoyable visits on a regular basis are schools mm. that send their teachers, their administrators, and even their students here. We, we host an entire seventh grade class from a local middle school every year here. We parade about 180 kids through every year. Um, and they, they engage with our team. They, they, we take them through some exercises and, uh, the educators, uh, look at what we've created here and they recognize that we created something that we yearned for, uh, and that is a learning organization, as Peter Sengi describes mm-hmm. in the discipline. Uh, I knew when I read that book by Sengi, I was in my personal trough of disillusionment in my career and my profession. And I saw the wisdom of what he described in that book. And I wanted that wisdom. It took me another 20 years to get there. Uh, but we have a learning organization here. We have short cycles and communication and feedback loops and transparency across the organization so that we can, in fact, create an environment where learning happens every minute of every day. Yeah, and, and that's uh, a great goal. I hope you're not setting up unrealistic expectations for the kids, you know, because we, we need more. By the time they're going to be in the workplace, hopefully we have more workplace environments that uh, look like what, uh, what what they saw. I, I tell the students when they come here, I, I tell them, you know, when you go home tonight and you're sitting at the dinner table and your parents ask you the typical question of, you know, how was your day today? Uh, instead of just saying, fine. Say, you know what? I figured out today that work is going to be fun. Mm-hmm. And then see what your parents 
say. <laughs> They'll look at you uh, and say, yeah. what the heck happened to you today? And, and tell them about what you experienced and have them come here because, you know, as, as we determined years ago, there's nothing here we're trying to keep a secret. That's one of the reasons I wrote the book. We, we think we've discovered some fundamental principles of how to organize human teams. Not that everybody should be like Menlo. We're not trying to say that this is the only way to do things. But there's some fundamental principles at work here that I think when people come and they see a tangible, living, breathing example that they can peer into, they can perhaps take some of that back with them and start to change their own environments. Now, and, and some of those things that you're, some of the things people would see in the workplace, um, you know, the paired programming that people might be familiar with from um, Kent Beck and um, extreme programming, yep. um, daily standups, work authorization boards. Um, yeah, in, in, in a nutshell, how do those practices and, and other things help create that team environment? You know, most organizations operate in chaos. Uh, it's the land of never getting anything done, right? You're being interrupted all day. People are coming in with higher priorities than the one you're working on now. And you go home at the end of a very long day and you're like, oh man, I got nothing done today. The typical corporate antidote to chaos is bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. So if you went, you go from the land of not getting anything done to the land of meetings and templated documents and sign-offs and committee reviews, and you end up in a land of never getting anything started. What humans really crave and where you can get high productivity and high engagement is simple, repeatable, measurable structure. And that's what they get with all of these paper-based artifacts in a big open room. It is such a predictable environment here. Everybody knows what they're working on. Everybody knows it from one end of the day to the other. There's no ambiguity. And if you, if you filter out ambiguity, fear begins to mm -hmm. fall. You know, most people go into work and they're like, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing today. I'm not sure what the boss is expecting of me. They, I know we got lots to do, but what's my highest priority here? There's no ambiguity. So fear begins to fall. And if we can get enough fear out of the room, then all of a sudden people begin to trust each other and you get collaboration and you get teamwork. And, uh, and once you have teamwork, like the kind we see here every day, you start getting that innovation, that creativity, that imagination, that invention that every corporation on the planet is looking for right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a time where the world has gotten very complex, especially in the software industry. And we now need to focus on how do we organize the humans in a more effective mm -hmm. manner. That's our big, that's our big frontier today. It's not about technology. It's, it, and, and I'm talking not Menlo's big frontier. I mean, the world's big frontier right. is how do we get more effectiveness out of groups of people working together? And we got to work at it. We got to, we got to structure it. We have to think about that as a, as a, uh, as a discipline of management. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's interesting that you talk about that structure leading to innovation and creativity. Cause I, I think a lot of times, and, and there's a phrase you used in the book, you talked about, you know, poorly informed, lean approaches and organizations where, you know, lean, unfortunately, um, is, is used to create more control, more bureaucracy in, in a way that's either, you know, demoralizing or, or dehumanizing instead of like we see. And I think in, in good, you know, I, I think, you know, a, a real lean environment, you know, in healthcare, yep. for example, that, that structure 
um, allows, you know, like you said, reduces chaos. It allows people to thrive and, and to do the right work the right way and, and, and to be more creative. And I, and I think, um, I think that's a really important point that you made. Yeah, I mean, it's like a road, you know, uh, you know, we get in our cars, we all have our own independent mission where we're going. And yes, there are lines, there are, there are speed limits, there are stops, stop lights and stop signs or rules of the road. There's behaviors of who's on which side of the road moving in which direction. And we all get to get to where we're going in a relatively efficient and effective manner because the structure is well understood by everyone. And that's what humans crave. That's where we thrive because if we can pull enough fear out, you know, it has a physiological effect on the human body. We can, we can now, you know, not operate out of amygdala and reptile brain and fight or flight mode. We can actually operate out of the part of the brain that makes us the most human, Mm -hmm. where the greatest creativity and imagination is going to come from. And and that's, you know, and a lot of people think, oh, that's what you, that's how you attract young people. Heck, we attract young people, old people. This, this doesn't differentiate by generation. This is what people want in their workplace. So I want to delve a little bit more into uh, the idea of eliminating fear. This is something Dr. Deming also talked about. And there was a phrase you use uh, of manufactured fear. Can you talk about what that is, why it's harmful, and and how you can get rid of it? Yep. You know, in in my early managerial days, uh, when I learned how to manage others by popping out of my sort of managerial little eggshell and I, I did the duck thing, right? I mimicked whoever I saw first because that's the way I learned to manage in the early days. Uh, I was taught I should go around to my team and poke my head in at random times and say, hey, how's it going? Hey, what you working on? Hey, are you almost done? Hey, are you staying this weekend? You know, Just those simple questions create fear in your team. Well, why doesn't he know what I'm working on? Well, do I have to stay this weekend? Is is that how I get ahead here? And suddenly our minds are consumed with all the wrong thoughts. I I now refer to that as management by walking around and annoying people. (laughs) But we we eliminated that. We, We put the work plans up on the wall for all to see. It's clear. It's straightforward. It's unambiguous. It's also sustainable. I think this is another big part of our culture that people are fascinated by. We've created a system that if we need to get more done, we can actually increase the team size to produce more output. The effect of that is that in 12 years, I think we can make a claim no other business in our industry could ever claim. And that is we work 40-hour work weeks. We never work weekends. We've never had a deny a vacation request. Why? Because we've structured the work such that if we need to get more done and hit a deadline, because all of our clients are external to our company, mm-hmm. they might care a little bit about our culture, but they care about their deadlines and their budgets more. Uh But if we need to hit a deadline, we can add more people in to get more done. And that's that's magical because now we get a humanly sustainable pace because one other thing that creates manufactured fear is when a boss goes around and says, so you're staying this weekend, right? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. not really a question, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, it is and it isn't, right? You know, there's an implication right. in the question. Right. Of course you are. You want to get ahead of here, right? You know, you, you know that's expected of you, don't you? Uh, and it's even an unstated fear. And then when your peers start showing up, now you feel that other fear of the wrong kind of peer pressure where, well, if they're coming on Saturday and I'm not here, I'm going to be conspicuous in my absence. 
And so all of a sudden you're, you're almost operating in fear now 24 hours a day because all you're thinking about is, you know, what's the face time I can put in to make sure that, uh, that I'm not letting anybody down, that I'm, that I'm, that I'm there. Even if I'm tired, even if I've got something more important going on in my personal life, uh, which could be, you know, taking care of a loved one or just being at your kid's birthday party or taking the needed vacation because uh, you earned it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's a way to rejuvenate. Uh, we have a, another weird rule here is when you go on vacation, you can't check email when you're away on vacation. And that's crazy, right? Most people look at me like, you're kidding, right? You know, that's all I do on vacation is sit on the beach with my laptop. I'm like, yeah, what message are you sending your kids when you do that? Do, do you, I mean, do, does somebody actually double check that, that you've disabled the uh, mail accounts on your iPhone so it doesn't? <laughs> no, uh, but we, we had a great story happen when one of our team members took off on a, a few week vacation to visit uh, her in-laws uh, with her husband in Hong Kong. And uh, she, she was clearly, she was project manager. She was checking in on some emails and responded to them. And later, uh, when she came back, we said, Hey, Lisa, you know, actually, we probably wrote her an email right then and there and nah, said, Hey, look, you're on stop. vacation. Just enjoy your, just enjoy your vacation. Right. And, you know, and of course she was trying to be the diligent project manager because they like to keep track of things. But when she came back, we made a story out of it. We made a story of Lisa's checking of email was while she was on vacation. Now it was lighthearted. Right. I think it annoys her every now and then that we bring it up. <laughs> The next time she took a vacation, it was actually a seven-week holiday that she'd saved up her time for. Mm. She went to Australia, New Zealand, and back to Hong Kong and South Korea. And she declared at one of our daily stand-up meetings, by the way, I will not be checking email while I'm on vacation because I don't want to hear any more stories about this. Well, simply through telling and retelling those stories, we don't have to check. People get it. They understand that that's the norm here. It's not the the opposite. Is not the expectation. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, final question. I mean, looking ahead, I mean, what would you see uh, as being the biggest risks? The things that would potentially uh, destroy or dismantle, um, you know, the culture of of joy at Menlo Innovations. Let's say, you know, if uh, what what I mean, what, what are the types of things that could lead to some stumbles? What, what are you afraid of in terms of not being able to sustain that culture? Yep. I, I think for us, uh, and I think this is true of any organization, is once you choose a cultural intention and you and you get it working, which we have, uh, the risks to Menlo are the same as the risks to any other organization. If you if you let up, if you if you stop focusing on that, if you if you change your hiring practices that such that you're not testing for culture first like we do today. That's our first interviewing fit as a fit for culture. You know, I think in any organization, large or small, it doesn't take too many drops of poison in the pond mm. before the whole culture is ruined. And um, in, in a cultural uh, focused organization, those drops of poison are going to come from the people. They're going to come from the leadership. They're going to come from the 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 the, the top-level leaders and founders and visionary leaders of the organization, the on-the-floor leaders, or they could come from people on the team who just have the kind of powerful personality that says, to hell with all of you, I'm I'm going to do this the way I'm going to do it. And if, if you don't have the, the guts to take those people and sit mm-hmm. them down and say, hey, look, either you come to grips with what we're doing to maintain and extend our culture or I will work with you to find you a good job somewhere else. 
in the community that's a better fit for who you are as a person. And that's, you know, that's going to be universal throughout our history is we have to uh, not focus on, um, uh, on, on business results, uh, even if it destroys our culture. Well, I, you know, there's, there's so much more, um, that we could delve into. I guess I'm going to leave it to the readers to, or listeners to become readers and, and grab the book, uh, Joy Inc., how we built a workplace people love. Uh, Rich, thank you so much for, for writing the book and, um, thank you for, for being a guest here on the podcast today. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you today. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.